Before I begin my sermon this morning, this setting reminds me of my first church in Oklahoma. We had about 50 people, and we didn't have a, a nursery. We didn't have a preschool area. We had a, a worship center with 10 pews on each side, a center aisle, and we had two bathrooms in the back behind the platform. The baptistry was actually in the floor of the platform, and uh, I learned very quickly uh, how to preach in that setting when the last two rows on this side was the nursery. That's where the children uh, played. That's where the diapers were changed. That's where they were fed, uh, all the rest. And so you just learn to preach through it. Now, I know today we don't have child care, and there are kids in the room. And so parents, don't worry. Don't worry, all right? Uh, I, it's not going to bother me. And it's not going to bother those around you. So uh, just relax and do the best you can. And we're going to let the Lord speak to us. I do want to ask as we start, how many of you come to the first hour of worship normally on Sunday morning? Would you raise your hand? I want to see a show of hands. Look around. How many of you come on the second hour normally on Sunday morning? All right. Now, you didn't know that these other people are members of our church. <laughs> all right. And, uh, and I bet that most of you are not sitting where you normally sit on Sunday morning. So again, we'll just get over that, get happy about it, and we're going to move right through the service and enjoy our time in studying God's Word. All of us are aware of the conflict in the Middle East, conflict in Israel in particular. And everybody has an opinion about how to bring peace to Israel in particular. If you were to eliminate all of Hamas, all of Hezbollah, all the Houthis, and Iran itself, that is the regime, not the people, but the regime uh, in Iran. People would say, finally, peace, peace. But let me promise you, there would be no peace. There's not going to be peace in Israel. There's not going to be peace in Iran. There's not going to be peace in America. There's not going to be peace in your home or in your life. Until you'll understand that there's only one person who can bring peace, <clears throat> real peace. And I want us to read about him. And we're not going to read about him in the New Testament this morning. We're going to read about him in the Old Testament. If you have your Bibles, open them to Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. I'm concluding a series of messages called The Name. And we've been looking at four particular names of the Lord Jesus. Isaiah is writing to a group of people uh, the Jews who are in exile in Babylon. They're there because of their disobedience, their disregard, their disrespect of God. How they have allowed foreign gods to come into their land. They've worshipped foreign gods, pagans, idolatry, <clears throat> among other things. Because of the injustice that they have created against one another. The, the lack of concern, <clears throat> and so and particularly of the religious leaders themselves. And so God has caused Israel to go into, into exile. And now Isaiah, who is bringing judgment against uh, the Jews, gives a word of hope. He says there is going to be peace, but this is how it's going to happen and this is who's going to bring it. Notice he says in verse 6 of chapter 9, For a child will be born for us, <coughs> a son will be given to us, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be named Wonderful Counselor, 
Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. The dominion will be vast and its property will never end. He will reign on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and sustain it with, sustain it with justice and righteousness. From now on and forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> Here he says that there are four names. The wonderful counselor, we've looked at each of these. The one who created you and knows you better than you know yourself has absolute perfect counsel for your life. He is the mighty God, that he is able to do anything and everything <clears throat> as we submit our lives to him. As the Apostle Paul said, that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Everything that God wants of me, that God desires for me to do in my life that would please him and bring glory to him, I'm able to do those things. He's the everlasting father. He's the perfect father. He will love you as no other person can possibly love you. <clears throat> he understands you as a child and how he wants to love you and to help you. And to meet the needs of your life, as a perfect father would do. And today, we're going to see he is the prince of peace. <clears throat> first of all, two things I want us to see today. First of all, Jesus is our prince. The context of Isaiah 9, particularly of verse 6, of these titles of Jesus centered around the fact that the Messiah is going to be a conqueror. That he's going to be one who has ultimate victory. And he's described in this one word, prince. <clears throat> and there are the two things about a prince. Number one, a prince commands respect. A prince is someone who is highly respected and revered. He's held in high esteem. He was in that day considered royalty. But we have trouble in America respecting authority. It's getting worse and worse. We have those who disregard it. We have those who challenge it, who resist it. But in biblical times, a person in authority commanded respect. In Genesis chapter 24, as we read the story about Joseph and his brothers who sold him into slavery, but he became number two in command. He was the prince of Egypt. The Bible says Joseph was in charge of the country. He sold grain to all his people. His brothers came and bowed down before him with their faces to the ground. At that time, they, they, he did, they did not know that Joseph was their brother. In 1 Samuel chapter 25, we read that when Abigail saw David, she quickly got off the donkey, fell with her face to the ground in front of David. She showed great respect to King David. A prince commands respect. Jesus, our prince, commands the greatest respect and he is to be held in highest esteem. That means we submit to his authority, whether we want to or not. It means we honor him and revere him above all else. It means that we bow before him in humility and treat him as he deserves. But not only is he prince, but there's going to be a day when he comes as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Paul writes in Philippians, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those on the earth, of those above the earth, and those under the earth. And every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ 
is Lord to the glory of God the Father. But I want you to notice the second characteristic of the prince actually sets him apart from the king. A prince concerns himself with the people. The prince was usually more involved with the affairs of the everyday person. The king would sit on his throne and he would make edicts, he would sign orders. But it was the prince who was in the trenches. He was the one who was governing the people. In 2 Samuel chapter 15, David's son Absalom overtakes the throne. And how does he do that? The Bible says that he sat at the city gate with the people and he was able to turn their hearts toward him. He knew how to make it happen. He knew how to usurp David's authority and overtake the throne. The people could better relate to a prince than they could a king. And Jesus, as our prince, is concerned with the affairs of his people. He left his throne in heaven to humble himself and to come to us. Paul writes, who existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God as something to be used for his own advantage. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a slave, taking on the likeness of men. It does not mean he emptied himself of his divinity, but he emptied himself of his location, of being in heaven and left the glory of heaven. And he came and humbled himself in such a way to be here with us. The difference between Jesus, our prince, and any other earthly prince or ruler is that an earthly prince thrives on the respect he receives, but Jesus renounced his respect. An earthly prince seeks power or prestige. Jesus gave his up by being born in a manger. An earthly prince get involved in the affairs of men for his own benefit, but Jesus got involved for our benefits. Jesus, as our prince, not only commands our greatest respect, but he deserves our highest praise because he's personally involved with you. With you. In Acts 5, we read these words, God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior that he might give repentance and forgiveness of sins to Israel. Meaning, it's for all of us. In Luke chapter 1, we read, You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. You see, Jesus Christ is our prince, our ruler, our final authority. But there's a second description of this title that we need to look at today. He's not just a prince but he's the prince of peace. The second point I want to make today is that Jesus is not only our prince, but he brings us peace. The word peace is the word shalom. Uh, It's the word that means safety or prosperity, success or well-being. In Israel, if you go there, the word is used in different ways. If I approach someone, I can say shalom as a way of greeting. But if I leave somebody, you'll also hear that person say shalom as well. Uh, And they meet it in other different contexts and other different ways. It's mentioned 236 times in Scripture, 24 times in the book of Isaiah. Psalm 29 says, the Lord blesses his people with peace. Isaiah writes in chapter 55, you will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The angel said in Luke chapter 2, glory to God in the highest heaven, peace on earth 
to people he favors. But what exactly is peace? What is the peace that he is describing? Well, first of all, I want to tell you what it's not. Real peace is not the absence of conflict. Often we try to avoid conflict so we can, quote, keep the peace, right? In the relationships that we're in. But just because there's no external peace doesn't mean, or it's not there, doesn't mean there's internal peace. Many countries, if they are at peace, they're not at war. They think they're at peace, but that's not the way it works. God says in Jeremiah, they, the religious leaders, have treated my people's brokenness superficially, claiming peace, peace, when there is no peace. So the absence of conflict doesn't mean that there's peace. Secondly, real peace is not humanly possible. You see, the real peace that Isaiah prophesied about, the peace that the Messiah offers, is not made possible by humans. Man has never known peace. In man, there is no peace. And here's why. It's because man has never been at peace with God. And if there's no peace with God, there can be no peace within himself. We're fallen people. And this is a very important point. Sin has removed peace in a man's heart. We may not understand it at first, but a person without God who continues to live as a sinner, not forgiven of their sin and repentant of their sin, will never know peace. Isaiah writes in chapter 48, There is no peace, says the Lord, for the wicked. There is no peace. In 1861, a man had lost his second wife uh, to death. She, She had become, actually she died in a fire. She was lighting wax to seal an envelope and the candle apparently fell on her dress and burned her alive. His first wife had died Uh, very early in their marriage. And so in that discouragement, he lived an anguished life. But in 1863, his son wanted to fight for the Union Army in the Civil War. And it was something that he really did not want his son to do, but at a certain point, the son had urged his father to release him so that he could go. And in 1863, a few months after being in battle, he was wounded seriously on Christmas Eve. Actually, it was in November, but on Christmas Eve is when this particular man found out that his son was severely injured and didn't know that if he was going to make it or not. So as a poet, he got a pen out and a piece of paper, and he wrote down the words of that experience. And so the next morning, on Christmas morning, He wrote words expressing his anguish, the bleak Christmas day. And he wrote these words, And in despair I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. We can stop all the wars and avoid all the conflict. We can pretend that all is well, but there's no peace. If we don't know Jesus, the Prince of Peace, there will never be peace. Well, what is real peace? Real peace is security. In John 16, Jesus said, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. You will have suffering in this world. Be courageous. I have conquered the world. 
Peace isn't the absence of conflict. It's the total security that you can have in the midst of conflict. Real peace is rest. Jesus ministering to a, 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 a troubled people. People who were discouraged and beaten down by the existence of their lives, but also by religion. Trying to live up to the expectations of religion, the rules and the regulations. And he said this, greatest invitation that's ever been stated. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. All of you take up my yoke and learn from me because I am gentle and humble in heart. And learn from me. You will find rest for yourselves. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. John says in John 3, we set our hearts at rest in his presence. Real peace means trusting Jesus Christ to take care of the details of your lives. Real peace is reconciliation. Romans Paul writes, therefore, since we have been declared righteous by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Perfect peace can only be found when we're reconciled with God through Jesus Christ. There's no more hostility between us. No sin blocking our relationship with him. Peace with God is possible only because Jesus Christ died on the cross to take care of our sin problem so that we could be fully forgiven. Real peace is also a gift. Jesus said in John 14, his own funeral message that begins Don't let your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. And if it were not so, I would have told you. I go there to prepare a place for you. And if I come again, I will receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. John said, uh, 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 Thomas, excuse me, doubting Thomas said, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How do we know the way? And Jesus said, I am the way, not a way. It's very clear in the text. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man can come to the Father except through me. Then in verse 27, he says this, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give as the world gives. The world offers peace. The world says this is peace. But by your own life experience, if you're honest, you would say, I have no peace. Your heart must not be troubled or fearful. Jesus says. So you'll never find peace, security, rest, reconciliation apart from the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ. Well, what kind of peace does Jesus bring? Well, he brings perpetual peace. Isaiah 9, verse 7, I read it a while ago. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. When the Prince of Peace comes in the second coming of Christ, that that peace will endure forever and ever. I'm sure many of you have watched Shark Tank, and uh, there's a phrase that they use when they're making a deal with the person who is asking for money, for funding, and they'll say that they want a certain percentage of the dividend in perpetuity, right? In perpetuity. That means forever. I've noticed on that show very few people like that deal. (laughs) But I want to give you a deal that you'll like that's in perpetuity. And that's the peace of God. That once you give your heart to Christ, his peace reigns in your heart in perpetuity forever 
ever. Amen. Notice also he brings perfect peace. Isaiah writes, you will keep in perfect peace the mind that is dependent on you for its trusting in you. Isn't that a great verse? How many people want peace in their mind? There are many in this room right now that you're wanting peace in your mind and in your heart. And it's that person whose mind is on him, the Prince of Peace. We can't even begin to comprehend what perfect peace is. No more anxiety, no fear, no doubt, no stress. Notice also he brings peace that passes understanding. Paul writes, and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This baby whose birthday we celebrate is the source of perpetual, perfect peace that will never fully comprehend this side of heaven. A peace that we can't understand apart from the Prince of Peace himself. Well, Henry Wadsworth Longfellow, who wrote those words on that day, didn't end the song in despair. He wrote a fourth verse. And he gave the hope through this song that there could be peace through the Prince of Peace. He wrote, Then pealed the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor does he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail, with peace on earth, goodwill to men. Do you know that kind of peace? Do you know the Prince of Peace? Do you know the real contentment, security, and rest in spite of the trials that you face? Paul writes, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. There's one other verse that will help bring all this into perspective. In the Christmas story, in Luke chapter 2, verse 14, we find that the angels leapt out of heaven and proclaimed the good news that Christ was born. And they said this, Glory to God in the highest, peace on earth, goodwill toward men. Did you notice the order of what was said? What came first? Glory to God in the highest. And then what comes? Peace on on earth, goodwill toward man. Until we bring the glory of God, who is in the highest, into our personal lives, into our homes, into our work, into our social life, into our schools, there will be no peace. We need to give Him the glory and the praise that He deserves who cared enough about you that he would allow his son, his perfect, sinless son, to come live here amongst us who are desperate people, hurting people, living in darkness. But he brought the light. He brought the light through the Prince of Peace. This morning is my great opportunity and privilege to invite you to come to this Prince of Peace. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? There might be somebody here this morning who would say, Pastor, I want that kind of peace. 
I want to know this Jesus who is the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. You can know him, not just know about him, but you can know him in a way that he will transform your life. That he'll not just repair an old life, but he'll give you a new life. That means that all of your sins can be forgiven. And when you come and humble yourself before him and repent of your sin, that means you're turning from Christ, I mean turning from sin and self, and turning to Christ alone for your salvation. Then you can have real peace in your heart. Peace with God, notice, and the peace of God. So in just a moment when we sing this next song, I'm inviting you to come to one of the pastors who were here. And they'll help you as they give your heart to Christ this morning. Many of you would say, I know the Lord, I do love him. And I try to follow him the best I know to do. But pastor, I'm in a real struggle right now and I'm, I'm lacking that kind of peace. Maybe worry has overtaken you. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. All the things that you're worried about, he'll take care of it. And so this morning, entrust it to him. Ask him to help you. Rest in the peace that he gives you. <clears throat> there are others that God may be leading you to become part of our church family this morning. Maybe you've been visiting for some time and you feel today's the day that you want to unite with us and help us as we proclaim this good news of peace, but we really help people understand it and to apply it in their lives, and to grow and mature in the faith here and really in our community and around the world. So we invite you to come. Maybe some need to kneel here at the altar. Just You need a quiet moment before the Lord. Or maybe you want someone to pray for you. You come and let us know and we'll do that. Father, I thank you for this wonderful morning that we can come and celebrate the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ. Father, how tragic our lives would be had it not been on that blessed morning that you stepped out of heaven and came to be with us. To not just let us see who you are, your attributes, your characteristics. To hear the teaching of your truth. To see an example of how we should live. But, oh, Father... To know that that one went to the cross for our sin and rose from the dead to validate that he is the life and he is the resurrection. He is the Prince of Peace. Help these who need to come now. In Jesus' name, amen.